Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Michael. I'm the pastor here, and my lovely wife, Christy, is right here down on the front, and our awesome, uh, my awesome in-laws, Rod and Jamie, and I know you've been uh, praying for Jamie if you've been seeing the prayer letter. Uh, so she's doing a lot better. Um, she still came in on one crutch, uh, but she's, she's doing good, so we're glad that she's here. Uh, and Rod will be us, with us next month uh, sharing from the Word, so we're excited about that, to have him come and share as well. And so today, uh, it's Easter, if you didn't know. Uh, maybe you walked in and you weren't sure, you just thought it was just another Sunday, uh, but today's a special Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so uh, we'll be in John chapter 20. Uh, Probably a familiar text for many of you. Uh, We'll be in verses 24 through 29. And uh, I'd like to welcome you as well. If you're joining us online or you watch afterwards, uh, we're glad that you're here and or watching also. And so the title of today's message, it's simple. It's just testimony. Uh, Maybe you've heard the testimony of Jesus before. If you have, uh, my guess is it's changed your life. Um, If you haven't, well, you're in for a great story today, a great surprise. And the phrase I want us to remember, it's a little bit different than what we normally do. It's just this before, moment, and after. And uh, what I mean by that phrase is that we all uh, walk through kind of various uh, scenarios or situations in life that have to uh, put us in this position where we have to ask this question about our own testimony. Do we have one? Because there was this time before you knew Jesus, and maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you're still in that place. Uh, But maybe you were given the opportunity, and you kind of came to that point where you were able to make a decision to follow Jesus or not. Uh, And then for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we, we have this after that's taken place. So what God has done in our lives since then. So we may all be in different places this morning, but I think we can relate with one or another aspect of this. And so before we get into the text, I wanted to share a quick video with you. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screens before we jump into it.
so if you've seen any depiction of the resurrection, um, you know it's not something that's necessarily fun to watch. We, we like to think about uh, salvation and how we have been rescued from sin and death and eternal destruction, but yet um, sometimes it's hard to think about the reality of the crucifixion and, and how amazing the resurrection is and what that brings for us. And so um, today we want to think about that. And, and this week, as I was just kind of getting ready for the message, I um, was just checking out the news. I normally do. Uh, there seems to be less good things than, or less, you know, good things and positive things lately. Uh, but yet I still check it out, so I try to pull out what I can. And I noticed that in Cairo, they were building a uh, new museum uh, for all of the uh, pharaohs that had been mummified and they had found in pyramids, and they're building this new museum for them. And uh, uh, this morning, or this morning or last night, they had this parade, this grand parade, and they uh, put all these tombs on these, you know, gold inlet vehicles, and they, they paraded them around Cairo from their old museum to their new museum. And as I was watching this, I thought, that's a lot of celebration for a lot of dead guys, isn't it? And uh, you can go check that out later if you want to. But as they arrived to the new museum, nothing changed about them, right? Um, still a bunch of dead guys who ultimately were just influential leaders throughout history. And I love that they actually went by and they, uh, Ramses II, so if you look back in history, Ramses II was the pharaoh who was presiding over Egypt during the time that Moses walked the people of God out of Egypt. I thought, well, I mean, it's kind of cool that his, his body's still around, but he's still dead. And we worship the king of the universe who walked the people of God out of Egypt. And Ramses, well, he died, right? And he didn't come back. But Jesus did, and so that's why we're here this morning. And um, so uh, if you haven't turned, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, grab one of the ones out of the pew rack. It's page 626 in the Bible in the front of the pew rack. And it's John chapter 20. Uh, and maybe um, you're new to the Bible, um, even if you're not, the background to the book of John. You know, John wrote the book. He was a disciple and an apostle of Jesus, and he writes his account about uh, many different eyewitnesses. So John's gospel is one that's written uh, really towards the end of the canon of Scripture. So what that means is that um, John, along with the book of Revelation, he wrote those towards um, the end of the first century. And so it was a time when uh, there were a lot of things going on, a lot of persecution, a lot of struggle. And John takes what the eyewitnesses gave him, his own testimony, as well as others who there would have been a lot of people still around who Jesus appeared to. The text tells us over 500 people who, were ra- who after Jesus raised from the dead, he appeared to. And as John's, he's writing these things down, he's talking to people who not only he himself saw Jesus, but there's all these other people that he talked with who literally saw Jesus in the flesh. And he gives us his gospel account to encourage us. And if you were looking for a purpose in the book of John, and we always ask that question, what's the purpose of the book? Well, the purpose can be found in the same chapter, in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, And that's why we're here. I mean, that's why we're here every Sunday, that through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have been given this opportunity to have eternal life. And John lays it out there for us, this purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By believing in that, you may have life in his name. And so if you weren't with us this morning, that's okay. It was kind of early, 
It was kind of cold, although I was told it could be a lot colder. It could, it could be snow on the ground, which I was thankful for. It was only, what, 36 degrees. Uh, we were out at the park having our sunrise service. But we read the first part of John chapter 20, and, and this is the next part of it. And just to set the scene, Jesus, he, he has raised. So the stone has been rolled away. He's not there. Uh, Mary shows up at the tomb. Where is he at? She's looking around. She goes and tells the disciples. She comes back. Peter comes with her. And, and what happens? There's a couple of angels there, and she doesn't seem to be shocked by this. Uh, and you see in most other accounts in the text, usually people are scared by angels, uh, but she's not. And so uh, right after that, then Jesus shows up, and she turns around. She goes, where have they taken my Lord? And she, what does she say? She says, Mary. And Jesus turns to her, and or she turns to Jesus, and she sa- he says, she says, teacher, right? So she recognizes who it is, and he said, go and tell the disciples. And so um, that takes place. The, the, all the rest of the disciples, except for Thomas, see Jesus. They interact with him. But Thomas isn't there. And so I think, I think God allowed Thomas not to be there for our benefit um, so that there could be some evidences laid out for us. And we're going to look at some other things as well just to kind of help us understand maybe where the rest of the world comes from too um, in regards to doubt. Because a lot of people come to Easter and they go, yeah, I think Jesus, he was a good guy, he was a good teacher, but I don't know that he raised from the dead. And that is important. So you either believe that he did or that he did not. And if you don't, you don't believe that he was God or the Savior of the universe and of ourselves personally. If you do, then you do believe that, and it's good news. But we find ourselves in a couple of different places. Maybe this Easter, maybe you're listening online as well, and you're just trying to find some answers. So hopefully we can find those today in Thomas's interaction with Jesus and so the first fill in the blank is the problem, uh, the problem, okay? And so uh, it won't be hard today, just the problem. Uh, and in verse 24, we find out what Thomas's problem was. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so what's the obvious problem? Well, Thomas wasn't there. And he was really looking for some miraculous sign too, wasn't he? He wasn't just, he wasn't just not there, but he's going to ask some important questions, kind of shares where his heart is at. And maybe, like some of us, maybe before you came to know Jesus, or maybe you're still asking this question, or you're, you're just saying, God, I'm going to need to see, I mean, I'm going to need to at least see you. Like, show up on my doorstep, and let's have a conversation, and then I'll believe, Right? And so Thomas is waiting. He's, he's asking some questions in his unbelief. And so we see in verse 25, um, this interaction that's about to take place. It says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of his nails, of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe and so it's kind of graphic. Like when Thomas is talking about this, it's not like a fun conversation. He's like, I'd like to touch Jesus. I'd like to actually, you know what? I really need to feel those wounds in his hands because I, I've never known anything like this happening before. And I mean, it's fine that you guys, the rest of the disciples, you've seen Jesus. That's great. Mary, you've seen him. Uh, but I'm going to need something further. I'm going to need some fur- further evidence to be able to understand this. And what we know is that, again, Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And as again, as John's writing this, a lot of these people would have still been around. They would have been able to share their stories about what took place. And Thomas's interaction really changes things for us 
Now, there's a lot of disbelief out there, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that kind of throw things out there to say, well, the resurrection never happened, or this part of it didn't happen. And here's the truth. If you can throw out any part of the Bible, if you can throw out any part of the resurrection story, then you can't believe any of it. So let's just go through a couple of things. I was just, you know, I was kind of reading through and I've heard various stories, things that people have kind of come to me and they either visit church or um, they, they, I'm not going to go to church. To, I don't know about Jesus, the, the re- crucifixion, the resurrection. I'm not sure I can believe that. And so some things I've heard, one of them is the fainting story, right? So Jesus was up there. He got nailed to the cross, um, which you cannot even imagine that, right? When we don't have any sort of frame of reference for that, when we see that, maybe you've seen the Passion of the Christ, um, it's just painful to watch, right? It's, it's, it's terrible, and it's awful, and it's gruesome. But yet, some people will go, I think he fainted. I think he fainted. And so there's, uh, there's some problems with that because there's a lot of historical texts that, that verify who Jesus was. He was a real person. He lived a life. And then uh, the, the Jewish people, they didn't like what was going on. They wanted this king who was going like, to reign over them and take over the Roman Empire. But he didn't do that. So they were unhappy. And to fulfill Scripture, just like Jesus said he was going to go to the cross, he did. And historians haven't discounted that, right? Yeah, he did. He, he lived. He died. And although those same historians who said that he died would say, no, he didn't really raise from the dead, most of them wouldn't say that he fainted, right? So that's probably one of the weakest arguments when you come to the resurrection. So I've, but I've heard people say that. Um, what about the, the Roman soldier's responsibility? I've heard some people say, well, they switched him out. They put somebody else in there. If you knew anything about um, Roman culture during that time, and soldiers in particular, they, they took their job very seriously, and they did because unlike maybe in other places of the world, especially here, although you can get in a lot of trouble for not following orders and doing what you're instructed to do if you're in the military or anything else like that, the Roman Empire, if you didn't do your job, if you switched somebody out or if you did something else that you weren't supposed to, um, you were also liable for the same punishment that that person that you were in charge of would be given. So probably not. The soldiers at that time probably wouldn't have done anything like that, right? What about um, the spear in Jesus' side? So um, and the text refers to Jesus that he, he didn't have any bones that were broken. Um, one of the things they did, because they didn't want it to get late in the day, they would take a, a hammer and they would break the legs of the person who was on the cross um, so that they would affix, asphyxiate faster or that they would just go ahead and, and die so they could take them down. But they didn't do that because Jesus was already dead. And what they did was they stuck a spear in his side and blood and water flowed from that. And so if... If you've ever um, kind of looked at some of those things, you like like crime shows, you know that people can't live without a heart, right? Um, and if that, the water and blood flow out of the side, um, then that's an indication that your heart is not working anymore, okay? And so some people said, well, I don't know about that. Well, um, what about the, the women who found Jesus? What about Mary in particular in the story that we read in the Gospels? Um, she is there. She's looking for Jesus. He shows up. She thinks he's the gardener, and she says, Mary. She goes, teacher, right? And so she's the one that goes and tells the disciples, and she's the one who first interacts with Jesus. And let me just share something else with you. If you didn't know anything else about the culture, in regards to the resurrection, um, if you were going to just make up a story, right? If you were going to, which some people have said, hey, they made, they made that up. You wouldn't have used a woman as the primary person who first saw Jesus and then went and shared with the, the main guys, the disciples, what took place. Because Women wouldn't have been used in a court of law, and I'm glad things are different now, but uh, they, they wouldn't have been used as, uh, as a good evidence or a witness in any sort of scene. Their testimony wouldn't have been counted as credible, but yet God uses uncommon things or things that wouldn't have been considered as credible to present the real story of the gospel and what Jesus did for us. 
And this is just one of the last ones, so before we jump into the rest of the text, because there's this problem, there's these issues that I think we have to work through, and, and some of these things that people just say, and then we're like, did that really happen? Or maybe there's doubt. Well, um, this last one um, I really love, so it's this theory that uh, the disciples stole Jesus' body. And so you look to some of the earliest historians, in particular Justine and Tertullian, who are counted as the most incredible Roman uh, uh, representation. So the scholars and other people, they look back to these guys about what happened. And, and what they said was that, yes, the religious leaders, the religious elite, they paid the guards who were there to say, we were asleep, and, they, and Jesus' disciples stole his body. And yeah, we don't know, I mean, where he took it or anything like this. So here's a couple problems with that. If, if uh, these guys were asleep... How do they know, right? How do they know who took Jesus' body? And so I just, I love like these theories and these things that people come up with because most of them are just comical, right? Um, even if you go back to the most reliable historical accounts and people present a problem, well, we can't believe in the resurrection because of this. And most of them are just silly, right? And they don't make sense. And so uh, with that, we've looked at the problem. So in this idea of the testimony, uh, this before, moment, and after, wherever you're at right now on this Sunday morning, uh, we're going to go to the proof, okay? So we addressed a lot of the problems, the things that kind of people bring up, or maybe even you're struggling with now. Let's go to the proof. And this is found in verse 26. And that's the second fill in the blank, by the way, the proof. You're going to fill that in so you know where the proof is. It's in verse 26. Uh, first, we get the visual proof. So it says in verse 26, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And so Jesus, he shows up on the scene uh, much like he's done before. And one of the things he says when he shows up after the resurrection over and over again is, peace be with you. Um, It's a reassuring statement, but it's one that kind of helps us understand what's Jesus's perspective after he's resurrected? What takes place? Did he show up behind closed doors, by the way, which the disciples were hiding because they didn't want to be associated with Jesus because that means they could have gotten killed as well? which is another story, but they were there, and Jesus shows up, and he, can you imagine, I mean, being the king of the universe, all these guys desert, they're hiding, and he, because it's like, you know, like in Star Trek, right, he just transports himself inside, <laughs> he's got a physical body, though, we'll see that soon, uh, but he's there in the flesh, he physically appears, and then what does he do, does he go, you are the worst disciples that anybody could ever have, right, they're in there hiding, he could have gone, I cannot believe you guys, I mean, what, like, just, you know, you're hiding and like, do you, I'm here, I resurrected, so, huh, surprise. But you didn't think that was going to happen, although I kept telling you over and over and over again. Is that what he says, right? No, he says, peace be with you. He could have said a lot of other things, but the God of the universe, when he shows up after he's died for the sins of the world and his disciples are hiding, he shows up and he says, peace be with you. And so now Thomas is here this time, so he, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see... Jesus appears, right? And only he's not just some um, spirit, right? He's physical, he's flesh, he's there, he's got the marks to show them. And in verse 27, we find the physical proof. It says in verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so here's the physical proof. So Jesus shows up. He knows the situation. He says, Thomas, why don't you go ahead and stick your, stick your hand here? I mean, it sounds gross, right? And you're like, why would I do that? But Thomas needed the proof, right? 
I mean, much like many of us, as we've navigated life, as we've made a decision to trust in Jesus, we've gone, where's the proof? And let me remind you from our perspective as well, Paul wrote a lot of things about this. And in Romans 1, we see that there's, there's really not an excuse for those who come after. And, and Jesus is going to talk about who we are in relation to the resurrection and that we're blessed. Uh, but we need to remember that that God shows us a lot of things all around us. So in the creation, we've talked about this many times before, uh, and I love the, the spring and summer, fall weather, and we were getting up for the sunrise service. I walked outside for a second before we got the girls up, um, and just right behind the park is where the sun rises. Um, and I love to just sit there, and, um, and every, as many times as I can, as many mornings as I can, I just go, after I've done my quiet time, like, you know, God, if people don't believe just because of a sunrise, I mean, what will make them believe? because that's enough for me, and that you've aligned things in a certain way, that you've shown us things in a certain way, that you've given us the creation that demonstrates your beauty, um, your intelligence, right? And so God gives us those things, and so that should be the evidence for us, but Paul takes it a step further. And in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in verses 3 through 8, he says this, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised, on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of, them, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one ultimately born, he appeared to me. So Paul reminds us throughout the things that he writes, not only just in Romans, that that should be enough evidence for us that he presents himself in the creation, and that here he says, hey, just like all the Scripture said, this took place, this took place. By the way, it fulfilled all the Scripture, and he appeared to all these people, and he appeared to me also. Paul's using this language here that there are people who, again, are, are still alive when he's writing this, uh, and he's, he's saying, hey, um, if it's not good enough for you to believe this, then believe other people who, who literally are still alive. Like, you can go, hey, there's, there's John, there's James. Like, go talk to those guys, because li- they literally saw Jesus after he raised from the dead. Oh, you don't want to just take the disciples' opinion for it? There's just like this list of 500 other people, at least here they are. Go ask them and, uh, and see, see what they say, okay? And so there, there's so many critics, there's so many people that come up with things not to believe what the scriptures say, not to celebrate on a day like this on Easter, the resurrection, that it should hurt us, it should pain us, but it should also make us go, yeah, that's, that's normal. We know there's going to be uh, opposition. And so as Paul's kind of working against this, I want to just remind us of one other thing before we get to the last point and close out, um, that there are there were a lot of people who saw Jesus or who were related to somebody who saw Jesus or who were disciples of somebody who saw Jesus in that first century that while the Roman Empire was gaining standing and influence and control and they began to persecute Christians even more, and oh, by the way, they destroyed the temple. Jesus talked about that. He was talking about himself, but also talking about the temple. The temple was destroyed. Christians were persecuted. And as Uh, time went on, things got worse. More Christians were killed. And so why do you think there were so many people that were willing to be, I mean, thrown in the Colosseum and have, and say, okay, all you have to do is just, just say Jesus didn't raise from the dead. That should be easy, right? And you have all these people who are going, I, I mean, I literally saw Jesus like after he raised from the dead. So uh, I'm going to have to say, no, I can't do that. Right? Or people who followed after, who said, no, my dad, I mean, he saw Jesus, like, he, he told us all the stories, like, I believe that, so, no, I'm going to have to say, I'll take the lion, or I'll take the steak, or I'll take whatever it is. Now, let me ask you one question. 
who believes, who dies for something they don't believe in, right? That'd be pretty silly, right? You get to that point, you just go like, okay, um, I was just kidding, I'm done. But when we see the truth and we hear the truth and it changes our lives and, and all those witnesses, all those people who had the testimony of Jesus who saw him in the flesh said, uh, no, I think I'm going to take this death because I saw Jesus, right? And that should mean something to us. And so as we close out in this last point, fill in the blanks, that point, okay? So what's the point of Easter? What's the point of, uh, I mean, why are we here? Like, why do we come, you know, on Sundays? Why do we get together? Why do we pray? Why do we worship this God? Well, um, God's going to give that to us in verse 28 and 29, because there's this moment of decision, right? We all come to that place, right? We have this before we knew Jesus. Um, it was at a young age for you. Maybe it was later in life, and so it's more vivid for you in your mind. Uh, we come to this point like Thomas. We're going to have to answer this question. We're going to have to either acknowledge God for who he is, uh, Jesus for the Savior of the universe, of us personally, or not. And so here's what Thomas says. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so the point of Easter, I mean, the point of all of this, of the scriptures to help get us to the place where we can say, without a doubt, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that he lived a sinless life, that after dying on that cross, he got up three days later, he raised from the dead, and this means he is God and he can be trusted and we can follow him wholeheartedly with all of our lives. And so in the Greek here, just the words um, that Thomas says, he says, ego, ego, kurios, kai, ego, theos. And this word here for Lord, kurios, it's, um, it's a word that's used a lot like in history, the Roman Empire. So if somebody said kurios, that you could have thought like, oh, that's the governor, oh, that's the emperor, oh, that's that guy. And so maybe that wasn't as significant. But what Thomas here says is uh, kurios, and he, then he says theos. And maybe you're like, hey, I think theos is like familiar to me. You know, I know it's a Greek term, but there was a movie that came out. Oh, yeah, Avengers, right? Infinity Wars. I know that guy. No, the, actually, Stan Lee, the guy who wrote that, he, he was looking at some other things like Greek and history, and he, he took that from there. So the Bible tells us that theos, the God, what Thomas says, is the one true God. And I love this because he's talking to Jesus, and he's saying he's God after he's raised from the dead. And there's one place that this, uh, these two words are used, Lord and God, um, later in the text. Actually, John writes this as well. Um, on the island of Patmos, he writes the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, 5, both these words are used. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. And it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so we have to come to this moment of decision, like Thomas who said, hey, he's, he's Kyrios, but he's also Theos. He's also God, the God of the universe, Jesus standing in front of him. And he's like, as he writes the Gospel of John, he also writes later, just a really short time in the book of Revelation. I know he's, he was thinking about the same thing. This Jesus, this God, is the same God who when we stand in eternity forever past, we're not going to need the sun. We're not going to need any of those other things because of his glory. He provides his light to us. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that Thomas was talking about. He's not like on the fence anymore. He's not like wishy-washy. At first he was like, before, I don't know if I believe. The evidence has been given. I believe, Lord and God. And we'll close it out with this verse in verse 29. Um, it says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. So what does this mean for us? Well, Thomas, again, he, he, he has this interaction. He makes this decision. He goes from before believing, even though he was a disciple, I need the evidence. Uh, and then uh, he, he is given this opportunity to make a decision, and he does. And then Jesus says something to him. You have believed, he asks him a question. Have you believed because you've seen me? He's not really looking for an answer. He knows the answer. He was looking for it through seeing him, through touching him. And then he uses this phrase, blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. So who's he talking? Who's Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are those who haven't seen Jesus literally in the flesh appear, say, touch my side. Well, he's talking about all the believers that would come afterwards, that would trust in the reliable testimony of those who, who would see Jesus in person, who would, who would be moved in their hearts by the Spirit to trust in him, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And I love this word here, blessed are, because I think we like misuse blessed, right, a lot. I mean, like before COVID, there were like all those, like, you know, I think people kind of put those away during COVID. The coffee mugs and like the bumper stickers, like blessed, like hashtag blessed, right? Uh, because, you know, everybody was like living the good Christian life and like we had money in the bank, like nobody's sick, um, nothing's going wrong, go America. And then this like virus that just crushes the entire world, Right? And so it didn't matter where you lived, like you could have been uh, like somewhere in some third world country, or you could have been like, you had a good job, uh, you had great cars, your family was well, nobody was sick, and then everybody was told, hey, go home, don't go anywhere, this terrifying thing that's invisible is, is going to hurt a lot of people, so we need to, we don't, in fact, we don't have a vaccine, there's no way for us to handle this right now, so here's what we're going to do. Like, I don't know if you, maybe you remember where you were when that was taking place. It really happened over a series of weeks that we kind of went into this place where we had to be sequestered or be in your homes. Um, it was a tough time, right? But when we come to this, when Jesus said, blessed are, he's not talking about health, wealth, prosperity, things going super well, because as we know, we're still blessed in the Lord, even though things haven't gone so well, even though things are difficult and things are tough. And I love it here, this word in the Greek, it's makareos. It means happier, supremely blessed, or fortunate, and it has nothing to do with present circumstances. So I don't know if you've read like the Old Testament or the New Testament, both places, uh, we see that people who follow Jesus, generally things are tough, right? Um, and, and in this season where things have been tough for everybody, that's kind of been put to the test, right? Like, do we really trust Jesus? Do we really love him? Are we really going to follow him no matter what? And Jesus uses these specific words, I think, for a reason. He said them at the beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'll just read it for us. He said, blessed are about a lot of things, and he's talking about us. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he went and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So maybe living the Christian life, maybe living in this season, like what Jesus said after he had this interaction with Thomas, is not so much about like everything going perfectly and, and, and just nothing bad ever happening or never anything like rocking our boat or making us uncomfortable. Maybe it's the opposite because what Jesus says, he says, hey, poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they're going to be comforted. Not like those who mourn and don't have a hope, Right. What about the meek? Well, they're going to inherit earth. What about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What about those who really love God, who are really seeking him? They're going to be satisfied. What about the merciful? They're going to receive mercy. What about the pure in heart? They're going to see God. Oh, what an awesome promise. What else? What about the peacemakers? They're going to be called the sons of God. What about those who are persecuted? What about those who are beat up? What about those who who are, are taken advantage of, who are believers in a tough season? Well, they're going to have a greater blessing, right? Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what do we have in verse 12? It says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's this guarantee, and, and Jesus is reminding Thomas, like, hey, you said you believe, right? So you said, Lord and God, blessed are those who have not seen. And here's all the truths, the things that Jesus gave to us before he even went to the cross. Blessed are, and this is who we are. And one of the last places this, this word here in the Greek is used in Revelation 22.14, and I'll close, I promise. Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So who's extremely blessed? Who's... Hashtag blessed. Who's, who's really blessed? Sometimes those that have difficulty. Sometimes those that go through hardship, especially as believers walking through this season. Jesus said, whatever circumstantially goes on, whatever these other things that are going on, blessed are those. Those who, who have believed and yet have not seen. And so that's the good news for us today, that in this, this before, this moment, this after, and this testimony that Jesus has given to us, my question is, are you blessed? You might have thought of being blessed a little bit differently uh, before this morning, but if you are blessed, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Scriptures tell us that we have this great reward in heaven that's already been prepared for us. Um, uh, my oldest, Alana, we talk about that all the time, that there's this place that's been prepared for us. When Jesus comes back, she says, I'm going to be ready. And um, and that uh, I'm so uh, glad that she's made that decision. But maybe you're here today and you think, I know I've heard this story. I know I've um, heard this and I just, I don't know that I'm in that place. Maybe I'm still in the before and I haven't, I've heard the testimony, but there's no decision that I've made. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and this last couple of years has really been a test for you. It's been like a, oh wow, like I didn't even really understand what it meant to follow Jesus until things got really bad. And here's the deal. Normally we don't until that takes place, right? So there's been this refining. There's this been this working on our hearts and our minds and our lives to go, do I really trust God? If I'm really blessed, and that means something a little bit different than what the rest of the world views it as. And so if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. It's as simple as this, um, that you'd admit that you're a sinner, um, that you'd believe that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was raised on that third day, uh, so that if we would confess with our mouth, uh, that we would be saved. Um, And so if that's you, I'll be here afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, But on this Easter, let me go ahead and close us out in prayer, and I'll send you off to wherever you're going, to a family dinner, 
um, or another restaurant, fun place to go and be together. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your word, um, that it changes everything for us. God, that um, as we, uh, we, we listen, we read the story, the account of Thomas and the disciples and Mary and all these people that you put in place so that we can have the evidence of what you've already done for us. God, we're so thankful that you, you give us our placement, who we are, that we are uh, blessed um, the blessed are, and then there's all these things, God, that you've promised for us before you even went to the cross. Um, and God, then at, at the end when you came back, we're so thankful that you said, blessed are those who believe, they haven't seen, they haven't touched you, but trust in you as Savior and Lord. And God, all the many blessings, all the benefits that come along with that, if not just a, it was enough to be with you in heaven for eternity, God, you, um, you come alongside us, walk with us in the difficulty of life, um, you restore us, you comfort us, you take care of us. Um, God, for the rest of the world that uh, lives this life and suffers and doesn't have a hope, doesn't have a place to go to, when things get really bad, uh, we pray for those that don't know you, God, um, that there would be a new season of growth um, for the church, um, for your people, those who need hope, um, that would trust in you for the first time. I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, God, um, that today uh, would be the day that they would trust in you for the first time. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Love you, church. Have a wonderful Easter, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week.